Facebook and on Instagram, and um, there's a constant conversation that's been going on for quite a few weeks now. Uh, wait, I don't think anything went live yet. There it goes. Cool. This constant conversation has been going on for a couple of weeks of traveling the country. Uh, you know, namely, we were in Tennessee recently, then Texas, and a lot of police officers have the impression that merely because of canine alerts on a vehicle that you automatically get a bright line rule to search everybody inside the car. What cops do is they start to cite on Chanda, which comes out of the 10th Circuit Court of Appeals um, in uh, at the federal level, which is really not relevant for anybody who's not a federal police officer in this circuit court of the 10th District of the U.S. Courts. Yet people fall back on this every single time. What I want to uh, ar- argue is I think you all need to get familiar with what your state case law says. If it's Sunday, I'm reading case law. I have a huge three days coming up in Massachusetts. We've got a big group. North Carolina next week. A few spots left in North Carolina class, but not many. Uh, what's up, dude? How are you? Um, that's Bo Hunter, baby, that I'm saying hello to on Instagram. So it's been a while since I did a video. Uh, I'm going to get back to more of these as we get off the road. As upcoming weeks, kind of cooling off a little bit. Going to regroup, build the infrastructure of the company during the summer months, get prepared for the 2021 Street Cup Conference, October 4th through the 8th. But let's go into some cases that I'm discussing today regarding searching occupants, when it was allowed, when it's not allowed, just so you know you have to check your state's case law. For example, if you're a police officer in Maryland, Maryland actually has a piece of case law, which I don't have off the top of my head, that says you could never search somebody because a canine alert never satisfies probable cause to arrest. Let's go into this a little bit. Let's talk about the cases that's being discussed at the moment. I think I've lost my PowerPoint slide. I'm going to bring it back up. Oh, let's see. Let's do this. Let's see if Kentucky will pull back up. You know, name of the conversation happened today was uh, we're discussing a case out of Tennessee. And let me get let me get to it here. If you have a question you want answered, I'm a little under the weather, as you can plainly hear. It's because I have rocking allergies and fucking crushed this year. But let me pull up the Kentucky case law because it has, I think we're good here. We have some. Uh, All right, let's see. Let me move this camera over here somewhere. It's like easy for me. I can see this whole screen. How's that better for everybody? All right, good. Let's see. We'll get some Kentucky case law. We're going to cite some few cases out of Kentucky and Ohio. Let me slide down to where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Yep. Kentucky. Aha. In Ohio. All right, let's pull up the Tennessee case law. This is a conversation with me, another guy who attended training and wanted to really understand how to use this uh, ability to search occupants with a canine alert. And you really have to understand what you're doing and just know that it's not a bright line. There's no, there's no way that it's a bright line rule. And by the way, if your state says that it's a bright line rule, great stuff. Send it over to me. I'd love to read it. I have not found a state yet that says just because a dog alerts on a car doesn't mean you get to search people inside the car, just so we're clear. Let's see what we got here. Okay, let's go into Tennessee to start with. No bright line rule to search with a canine alert. Probable cause to search a car at that point, however, did not in and of itself justify officer. This is State versus Harris, 2008 Tennessee Criminal Court of Appeals. What happens is the traffic stop is made, uh, canine alert is, is given, and the gentleman's already outside the car. He's been pat frisked for whatever reason. 
Um, and then they go back to search him a second time. This is what this, the courts have said on this second search. And of course, the police officer, Officer Kilpatrick, in this case, articulated he did a pat frisk. But what he actually meant, and the courts are actually making fun of him in their in their, in their ruling, that he meant to do a search far beyond the constraints of Terry v. Ohio and weapons frisk. But unfortunately, police officers don't know the language that they're using and what's appropriate. So don't forget, a frisk is a frisk for weapons. It's a very quick pat down, checking for bumps or bulges designed to harbor weapons designed to use in a, or launch an attack on a police officer or the bystanders. A contraband frisk is similar to one of those that's incident to arrest. So it'd be far more intrusive than a Terry frisk. So just know that when you're using language, you don't say things like, I then placed Stevenson under arrest. He was then pat frisked for my safety. We don't pat frisk people incident to arrest. We search them. And that searching goes far beyond what you think you can do, probably. But it's important to know what you can do. And that's why classes exist, because we're trying to undo all the things that nobody helped you understand. So let's read some of the language from this. Pop clause to, to search the car at that point, however, did not in and of itself justify Officer Kilpatrick in searching the defendant's person. We acknowledge that probable cause to search a vehicle generally authorized the officer to search passengers' belongings found in the car that are capable of holding the object of the search, citing Wyoming v. Houghton. We know of no broad application of the vehicle search exception to the warrant requirement. However, that underwrites the search of a person who occupied the vehicle prior to the dog sniff, see United States v. D. Reed, stating that probable cause to search a vehicle did not authorize a body search of a passenger. In the present case, an extension of the vehicle search exception is especially inept for two reasons. First, the defendant left the vehicle before the police acquired any indication that the vehicle contained material that they would be entitled to seize. The dog apparently did not react to any substance secluded on the defendant's person. So I think what they're saying here is, look, the guy was already out of the car. Now, putting people in a car and letting them snip while they're in the car is not going to be a resolution. It could be a factor that you consider, but it's not going to be a resolution and, and some way to get around this circumvention of the Fourth Amendment. It's just not going to happen that way. Second, a passenger in the vehicle occupied occupied the seat near the door where the dog reacted. Under these circumstances, we fail to see how the officer's ultimate warrantless search of the defendant was justified by constitutional principles governing vehicle searches. See how? Theory was uh, predicated upon the situs of the search of the person versus search of property and the role of the vehicle occupant as such. We discern, however, an important factual distinction between Dennis Menzies and the present case. So there's a case out of Tennessee called Menzies, and they talk about Dennis Menzies, and I'll explain the difference. Menzies was the owner of an operator of the car hauling enterprise, and the informant's tip had revealed that Menzies himself regularly used the purchase and hauling of vehicles as the means for transporting cocaine. So you have to understand something. We have something else going on here. We have an informant tip, which almost could be in and of itself probable cause to make the search or would be founding. But at least here what they're talking about is there was something more than just a free air sniff like Menzies did. I'm sorry, like uh, Harris did. So Harris was a traffic stop. They did a free air sniff, the dog alerts, and he searched the person. Here they're saying, we have articulable facts based on independent sources beyond that of the traffic stop, or even during the traffic stop, called reasonable suspicion at a very minimum, maybe even probable cause. That was more factors that we wanted to see when we talked about your ability to do something further than just search occupants with probable cause. In that situation, we agree with Menzies' panel that the drug dog's reaction yielded probable cause to arrest Menzies in search of incident there, too. So I've made a lot of recommendations that understanding that, listen to what I'm saying to you. There are many cases, it starts from Florida v. Royer, uh, that's a U.S. Supreme Court case. With specific and articulable facts, with reasonable suspicion, as crazy as it sounds, the courts want to see some independent corroboration, plus the canine alert. So 
the idea is that the person would show some kind of prerequisite knowledge that they were involved in or some factors that they were involved in knew that the drugs were present. And that would be able to articulate not only the reasonable suspicion, but then the probable cause of the canine alert would satisfy probable cause to arrest, but not probable cause to search. You then get the search incident to the arrest. That's what they're saying here. That's what New Jersey says. That's what many states say outside of Maryland. That's what most states say regarding how you're going to search somebody with a canine alert. <clears throat> the court was not dissuaded just because the incident search actually preceded the arrest. Right, because we have Rawlings v. Kentucky that says handcuffs don't have to go on first in order to be able to search incident to arrest. It's the prerequisite probable cause that allows that. The presence of the passenger with a dog reacted created uh, equipose. I don't want to say so. Had the contraband been placed in the defendant's vehicle and thus probably possessed by the defendant or possessed by the passenger without the defendant's knowledge, under the unique facts of this case, we cannot conclude the dog's reaction resulted in probable cause to arrest the defendant. So there you go. It follows then that the claim of a search incident to a lawful arrest is not supported. Not in this one in State versus Harris, but that may be the route you have to go. Conclusion. The result of our analysis is that the ultimate evidence-yielding search performed by Officer Kilpatrick ran afoul of the Fourth Amendment. And for that reason, the fruits of the search should have been suppressed. Accordingly, the judgment of the trial court is reversed, and the case remanded to trial court. By the way, even if you read on Chanda, which doesn't apply to you again, I know that you guys are, everybody's like, on Chanda, on every fucking king and I group, on Chanda, on Chanda, on Chanda. But it doesn't apply to you. It's persuasive. It's not binding. You can't rely on it. Think about it to the U.S. Supreme Court. Think about it to 10th Circuit Court, District Court, and it applies to federal police officers there. And you've got to read on China. You just can't yell and blurt out these fucking cases and think it's going to fly because you're going to show up in court in a situation like this with Mr. Kilpatrick, who I'm, guess heard, I'm guessing heard like everybody else, oh, you could just search, blah, 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 right? And then he shows up. He's like, oh, blah, 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 you know? So I know that cops are intentionally trying to do things well, but the problem is you got to know what the fuck you're talking about or you can find yourself in court here. So, I have this here. Here's State versus Menzies. The law is well settled that probable cause of search established by an alert from a drug-sniffing dog. Uh, a dog alert without more creates probable cause for search and seizures. Search a vehicle that did not violate the Fourth Amendment because it was based on the probable cause. Da -da -da. That really is irrelevant for my case at the moment. Let's go now over to some cases out of Kentucky, because guys in Kentucky were getting confused on this. And I want to make sure that I was conveying this correctly in class. And by the way, just so you know, we're probably going to discuss this in the Street Cop podcast coming up. Me and Zach had about a 20-minute conversation on Thursday about this. Uh, and went into great detail, and we are both in the same. And, and, and again, who are we, right? We're just trying to give you thoughtful advice. If you disagree with this and you think that a canine alert allows you to search occupants, bright line rule, um, please supply the case law, and please don't give me fucking on Chando. I know what Anchando says. We've dis we've dismantled it and we've extinguished your argument there. So please send over your case law from your state and have me analyze it. And I'll give you my thoughts on it. And if I don't think I'm comfortable giving you some thoughts, I will uh, reach out to Zach and we'll look at it together. Here's Morton versus Commonwealth. Morton argues that Horde's search, this is um, 2007, that Horde's search should have been invalidated because it was not justified pursuant to an automobile extension. Exception, I'm sorry. Although he readily concedes that the probable cause to Existed searches vehicle because of the dog drug alerts. Morton argues the searches person was not authorized under the automobile exception as a result of his mere presence within the vehicle. We disagree. Here's what they said. In this case, after Morton was stopped while remaining in his car, a drug dog alerted Horde to two locations, including the driver's side door where Morton was sitting. After Morton died, Horde's request to search his vehicle, Horde asked him to exit his vehicle, at which time he searched Horton, Morton and found crack cocaine. We find this case in Agulis, the facts presented in Dunn versus Commonwealth, this is Kentucky. 
So if you're in Kentucky, this counts to you. Where the police smelled a strong odor of marijuana after approaching a vehicle with two occupants, police then asked the driver, done, to exit the vehicle, and he was immediately searched for contraband. As a result, the searcher's person, police found a cellophane packet containing cocaine. Dunn moved to the, to the circuit court to suppress evidence of the cocaine under the theory that it was the fruit of an unlawful search. Overruling this motion, the circuit court ruled that a strong smell of marijuana emanating from Dunn's vehicle provided probable cause to search the vehicle. All items contained therein and a vehicle's occupants we affirmed. So what they're saying here in this case is they're still not putting a bright line case on Morton versus Commonwealth. What they're saying is, hey, the dog alerted to where he was sitting. That's what they're saying so far. I got to be honest with you. To me, I still think it's a little shaky, but it's not a bright line rule. What they're saying is they left these people in the car. The dog alerted in two spots. One where the, So what's the question? The question is, what if the dog doesn't alert? What if you leave people in the car and you're sniffing call, uh, cars with canine alerts and the dog doesn't alert where he's sitting? Can you search him then? And the answer is probably no. Um, you have to think about how you're going to articulate, build reasonable suspicion, and then get that dog alert and make sure that everybody in the car has all those display factors of reasonable suspicion. Maybe they have nervous indicators, behavior stories are incorrect, misleading, mismatching, uh, all sorts of stuff. You know, whatever reasonable suspicion is. Let's go on a little bit further. Let's read something out of Ohio. This is State versus Chapman, Ohio Court of Appeals 2019. Turning to the facts in this case, there's no question high-res alert established probable cause to search the automobile. In its response to the motion to suppress before trial court, the state advocated the adoption of the bright line rule announced by the 10th Circuit on Chanda that a canine alert on a vehicle like the odor of burning marijuana in Moore Supra establishes probable cause for a warrantless search of both the vehicle and occupants. So the state is saying, we are arguing for this. We want this to be the case. And here's what the court said in Ohio. We chose instead to adopt the sound reasoning of other Ohio appellate districts that have considered this issue. And we hold that a canine alert alone is insufficient to establish probable cause to conduct a full search of the occupants in the vehicle, but may be considered as one factor in the probable cause determination. Further, upon de novo review, which means a new fresh set of eyes, see Ornelia's super, and having considered the totality of the circumstances leading up to the search of the appellant's shoes in this case, we find the probable cause did not exist for the search. Now, I've done videos on this before because it's all starting to ring a bell. Let me read you some case law out of New Jersey. All right. Interesting. Let's go back to New Jersey a little bit here. Let's see what we got. Let's go down a little bit. Let me read some case law in New Jersey for you regarding our canine alerts. <laughs> I know I'm getting there. Let's see, Rodriguez, Cabayas, Dunbar. We have state versus cancel. So here's some more language out of New Jersey. We agree the dog's positive reaction to the defendant's suitcase of the discrepancy between her name and her name on the ticket gave the police probable cause to arrest her and obtain a warrant to search the suitcase. So you had discrepancies. You had reasonable suspicion, citing Florida v. Reuter. Uh, had police used the dog to sniff defendant's luggage, a positive result would have resulted in his justifiable arrest on probable cause. See U.S. versus Goldstein, 1981 Fifth Circuit. Positive dog sniff, defendant's furtive behavior, and false name as airline ticket furnished probable cause to obtain a search warrant. Thus, the officer's comment to the defendant that she would be detained while they obtained a search warrant was a fair prediction of events that would follow, not a deceptive met, uh, threat made to deprive her of the ability to make an informed consent. So, we have another case. Comes out in 2019, State versus Nelson. This is a case where a state police uh, detective is, uh, is given a tip, and he actually, I don't know why they write an anonymous tip, because I'm thinking they call from the DEA and given an anonymous tip. He receives a confident, uh, not a confidential, a reliable tip from a DA agent says what? Uh, that there's a gentleman coming down the highway 
with 80 or 70 something pounds of marijuana. The detective goes out, finds the car, gets a motor vehicle violation, stops the vehicle. And here's what happens. The guy denies consent. They call for a dog to come out and alert. This is what court said in New Jersey. Detective Kazan asked Nelson to consent to search his vehicle, which Nelson refused. Shortly thereafter, Detective Kazan called for a canine unit to come to the scene. 37 minutes later, canine unit arrived, and the canine alerted to detective the presence of narcotics in Nelson's car. After Nelson was arrested, the NJSP obtained a warrant and searched his vehicle, finding 80 pounds of marijuana. The reason they found a warrant or got a warrant in this circumstance is because they believed they had uh, foreseen and not unforeseeable circumstances, which kind of, but kind of not. This is one of those weird things. I'm glad that they went for the search warrant in this circumstance in the state of New Jersey. would mean, in other states. We have this additional requirement here. It's almost never have to use it. But this is one of these cases where it would have been a bad idea to get the search warrant. So that's fine. So what I'm saying to you is understand when you can uh, use probable cause to arrest somebody for the odor of, I'm sorry, for a canine alert. I don't know of a case outside of Anchanda, which doesn't apply to probably 99% of people in this group, that articulates that you can search somebody's car. I'm sorry, my apologies. Search somebody's person without additional reasonable suspicion or as probable cause or without it being incident to arrest. I have some questions over here. We have some comments over here. I'm going to have to get back to work soon. I got to interrupt my program. All right, let's see what we got here. Let me slide back a little bit. Hey, Jay Wizwaz, you're a Fletzy? That's fun, dude. Enjoy yourself. Making that OT on Sunday. Look, Minnesota. Minnesota all hot for the summer. Uh, I don't know. I should drop this the street cap skincare routine. Let's see. Please make a UT on men version for oh Utah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we'll have a we have some stuff coming in the works. Wonder if you could touch an IDing a passenger at men case. So by kind of turn it simply ask the passenger that is borderline lawful, explain to me. That um, yeah, I'd have to read that one, dude. I know that, for example, they may be right. They may be wrong. I'm not sure. I have to, um, I'm reading Massachusetts law right now, and I'm getting into that portion of my program where they're saying the same thing, Massachusetts and Massachusetts and Minnesota are both equally fucking out of their minds. So wish I could stick around. Thanks for all the controls. Always AC at Shig Beans. Kind of need on a driver at the passenger side. I had some root bolts from his, his jacket pockets. Why? And again, I'm not trying to sound rude to you, but why um, why'd you do that? Does somebody having something on their person allow you to search the car? Yeah. Does it allow you to search other occupants? No, it won't. Right? It's the same concept we're talking about here. So I'm sure you have more to write there, but you can just DM me uh, right here and I'll, I'll get to you. I'm going to be on a four-hour drive with Boston tomorrow. Hopefully jumping into the DMs and trying to answer some of your questions. This is Bacone, the Crusader. The way our department does it, is everyone is detained during the search. If anything is found in common in the area specific seat, that establishes probable cause to search the occupants and to reach that area. Uh, yeah, I don't think that one's going to be legit either. Can you please send me over the case law supporting that? That one sounds a little strange too. We got to go back to Maryland v. Pringle. It depends what is there, how much is there, and did they have enough? I would probably go for more of an admission at that point or some more reasonable suspicion. Pastor had a few ounces of crack and heroin molly. Did you get that suppressed, Jacon? As I'm curious, during a car search. Uh, Bacon, Cruc Bacon Crusader, uh, I don't think that, that doesn't sound uh, really good. Uh, yes, you can email me too, dennisstreetcop.com. I'm trying to get to this stuff. Good. You know, i got a lot of stuff going on. I'm trying to get to all these things. But anyway, I'll see you guys later on uh, Instagram. Then I'll send it off here. 